Good morning. Welcome to Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Andy Brownell. And it's my pleasure today to be joined by Amy Hahn, a local historian who has a new book. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. So the book is titled Hidden History of Rochester, Minnesota. That's correct. Yep. So I, I'm gathering you're going to tell me some stories I haven't heard before with that title. Yeah, so the publisher has, you know, various series that they publish. And so this one is their hidden series. And so the hope is, is that you would find, you know, stories of mainly people. It's kind of, that you know, focuses on individuals mostly um, about ones that maybe didn't get the spotlight as much as some other people that we've covered over and over and over again. In the sure. Media. So it's trying to get them a little spotlight, I guess. <laughs> so this would be the non-Mayo Clinic history of Rochester. That's correct, actually. Yeah, I don't really have anything on Mayo. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a shock. Uh, but, I mean, there's some mention, like some of my characters that went to Mayo, you know, for various things. But, you know, in general, no, there isn't anything really about Mayo. So it's a little different. So I guess, how did you get involved with this project? Yeah, so a few years ago, um, when I was doing, uh, I was uh, volunteering at the History Center of Olmstead County, and I was in their archives area, and they were approached by the publisher, someone, an acquisitions editor contacted the archivist and said, do you know of any writers that would be interested in writing about Rochester? And so she knew that I was, the archivist knew that I, I had expressed interest in pursuing some historical writing. And my background is journalism. I have a wide variety in media. And, but I kind of decided to focus a lot on history stuff. I was into historic preservation and I have deep roots in the area. I'm from Harmony originally. Sure. Filmer County is my, you know, where I'm from. And I have pioneer families, you know, ancestors that came here. Um, but, you know, Rochester then kind of was interested in the whole history of Rochester as well. So I contacted acquisitions editor and uh that was lost rochester minnesota which came out in 2017 sure okay yeah and so that book focused mostly on buildings and businesses that aren't here anymore that's why it's lost um and of course there were interesting individuals involved in those businesses and buildings but it really focused on structures a lot mostly and some sites to historic sites that we may no longer have so then uh not Long a few couple years after that, they contacted me again and were interested in. They really wanted another book in this series, this hidden series, and they asked me if I was interested. And so that's kind of where it came about. Is they kind of approached me about it, and I thought, well, that would be kind of fun. And they kind of told me the premise of the series and how it's supposed to focus on maybe people who you know, we don't know as much about, it kind of uncover them a little bit. So I was kind of intrigued to do that. So that's kind of where how it happened, I guess. It sounds like fun, but it also sounds very daunting. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it's it was fun, but you know, it's kind of like, where do you start? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because you kind of got to dig a little bit. Luckily, I had great people at the History Center of Olmsted County who we sat down. I, I kind of got input from them to maybe some stories they knew of that they felt hadn't been covered about people. And so it's kind of where I started. I kind of, 
you know, pick their brains to see what they might be, think would be good in the book. So that's kind of where I started is, so a lot of the stories in there were kind of from them to get an idea. And then I went and dived to try to find the information then about these characters. So, Yeah, to dig also for photos. I see a lot of fantastic photos in this book. Yeah. So one of the great things about the History Center of Olmstead County, which I, I tell people all the time, is it really is an amazing resource. I can't believe what they have there. And in fact, my publisher in Los Rochester had told me that that they were amazed at the pictures that I was able to get. Because this particular publisher focuses on, you know, local histories. And sometimes it's really hard when you're dealing with especially small you know, historical societies, yeah. they don't have the pictures. And the History Center does have a lot of great photos. And so once again, I was able to find pictures, you know, to, you know, go with these stories, which is very exciting because visual is always great, you know, to have that visual to complement the story. You must have spent hours and hours and hours at the History Center. I did. <laughs> I got to know everybody very well. Um, you know, I've had two books now, and so I, I kind of became a staple there. Um, and they, they just kind of, because of my volunteer experience there, I was there for a long time helping there. I, they just kind of let me, you know, since I knew where the resources were and stuff, they're like, well, just go ahead. You know, I kind of knew how to get stuff. I knew how to find the stories. I knew how to find the photos. And I Yep, I just sat down at a table and away I went. <laughs> but yes, I was there quite quite often, yeah. <laughs> it's fun to go out there. I, I encourage people to go back into the archives. Even if you have to pay a little fee to do it, if you're not a regular out there. I took my daughter one time and yeah. what was supposed to be a 15-minute visit ended up being a couple hours. <laughs> That's what always happens when you deal with history stuff. <laughs> it always happens that way because, you know, one of the things when you, you choose a topic and you, you dive for the information, you you try to go on your little treasure hunt, I guess, yeah. as I like to say. It, it's funny what you deviate and find. Like, you go down different paths because, you, you know, you read some article about the maybe the topic you're interested in, but all of a sudden they mention something else that seems, well, that sounds kind of interesting. Take that name, do a search, you know, in the newspaper archives or whatever. How about this person? Who is this? I haven't heard about this person. Um, one of the where that happened to me in this book was I was just kind of looking through newspaper articles and I was looking at kind of, you know, old concerts and things uh, that, you know, that maybe entertainers that had been through Rochester. And I discovered um, this really cool, there was a couple references to the Black Swan. And I was like, what's the Black Swan? And so um, her name was Elizabeth Taylor Greenfield. And um, she, let me, I'll double check on that is my book. But yeah, I, think that she, I just want to make sure I have her name right. Um, yep, Elizabeth Taylor Greenfield. And she was called the Black Swan. And she was a black opera singer. And she came to Rochester and performed. And she performed in the what was the old courthouse. So the Broadway house, which was the old courthouse before they built the, you know, our historic courthouse, which isn't here anymore. But they they kind of rented that building for a while while they were, you know, working on constructing the actual courthouse. And so they actually, you know, it was all, I think it was also a hotel as well. But she performed there. And so I discovered who she was and, you know, how famous she was and 
and that she'd been to Rochester and they raved about her and she performed one night and because it was so popular, they did it again. They did another night of her performing. So that was kind of fun to discover her in the, you know, in the newspaper. Yeah. So, <laughs> Are there any favorite characters that you found, I guess, local people that were unexpected or you really enjoyed learning about? Yeah, well, um, I did. I liked um, Lucy Easton, who uh, her the family, the Eastons were big into horse racing in the late 1800s, like, you know, 1880s, 1890s. And um, she was a clairvoyant. (laughs) And I yeah. And so she was also called Dr. Easton. And she actually was listed in the directories a lot with medical providers. And a lot of the medical providers would actually recommend their um, patients go see her for, you know, maybe some mental healing, you know, and that type of thing. And her husband was a photographer and he raised racing horses and her son was um, Hamlet or Ham or Hammy, they called him. And he was, he uh, raced, he was the harness racer. So he raced their horses and, but she would go down to the, before the night before the race or whatever, and she would talk to the horses and she would kind of get a feel about them and kind of try to, you know, do her clairvoyant work on them and like, you know, race well, you know, be successful. <laughs> and, and and they were well known here. And there's lots of references to the uh, particular horse they had called Badge, Badge E or Badge. And he was, uh, they raced him a lot. And he was well known in the area, in the racing circuit. He even broke some major records. Um, so that was fun. And, and she was an interesting character, very charismatic. She even had a patent on I, 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 equipment, uh, farming equipment, uh, she did that. She did a lot of different things. So she was really interesting. The entire family was, as was horse racing in general in Rochester. Um, we really had at that time it was a big deal, and we had a lot of families, including the males, were involved in you know harness racing and raising horses as well. Uh, and, and so it's fun to read about the you know the races and the different horses. But that family in particular was very colorful very involved and it was just fun to read about them so (laughs) i think maybe that's what i like most about this book because if you know you google rochester minnesota you're going to be bombarded with the story of the male brothers yeah and everything pertaining to the male brothers yeah but in those days that was male was not that big a deal yet that's correct yeah there was so much happening in this community it was growing so fast and of course the Mayo Clinic made it just grow exponentially when they finally took off. But yeah, there were a lot of other folks who contributed to this community outside of the Mayo brothers. And I I love it that you're telling these stories. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think people forget sometimes that immigrants came here for land and for agriculture, you know, originally that's kind of why they pressed West at one time we were West. I mean, uh, in Minnesota, West of the Mississippi, we were known as the frontier, (laughs) which, you know, sounds odd today, but really Minnesota was known as the frontier for a while, especially when it was a territory before it became a state. Um, and so they came here for land and for agriculture farming, you know, a lot of them were farmers and wheat became a big product here. And yeah, that all happened before Mayo Clinic. And of course, we all know what Mayo's contributed, of course, but it is fun to kind of look at the different uh, characters that in individuals and their fascinating stories, they're very talented, they're very charismatic, they're hardworking, they're very, you know, unique individuals. Um, And so it's fun to kind of uncover them a little bit. The one that 
I was surprised I didn't know about because I'm kind of an aviation buff was that we had a an ace, a World War One ace who was yes. from Rochester. Yes, I know that was very interesting as well. Um, you know, I I stumbled upon him too, and you know, it's fun to talk about. You know, World War One we don't seem to talk about as much either. I mean, World War Two gets a lot of attention, and sure. World War One doesn't. But that's kind of where Ace started is that whole idea of an ace pilot is started during World War One because that's the first time they started to fly the planes. And um, and so they it's an interesting, it's kind of the foundation of the aviation in, you know, the military uh, was in World War One. So, yeah, he was an interesting character too, George, I believe. Furlough. Yeah, furlough. It's George. I always like to double check because, you know, Make sure I get my names correct when I'm talking, but it's George Willard Furlow. Yeah, and he was an ace. And if you look online at ace pilots, um, he's listed. You know, there's, oh. there's not that many. I mean, you know, it's, right. it's a very exclusive list, and he's he's listed in there. Uh, so it's interesting to read about him and also read about the articles, you know, I discovered about him. Uh, in his letters back home and um, his family shared his letters, his family and friends and about his experiences. So that was really fun to um, to discover. He was Top Gun before there was Top Gun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. And I can't imagine the planes they were flying, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cloth <laughs> Those bike planes and, or, you know. <laughs> and uh, your story of him connected to his brother and. Yes. And I, when I read it, I thought, wow, I would have loved to know this family. They must have just been exceptional because he ended up being a politician and yeah, everything. Yeah, they, I, yeah, I think so. They all seemed very, you know, talented and very you know, invested to in civil service and in contributing, you know, contrib- contributing to the community. And uh, yeah, they were a really fascinating uh, it, family too. Yeah. It sounds to me like you didn't have any trouble finding enough people to write about. Did did you have to limit yourself in some ways? Yeah, you know, uh, just like with Lost Rochester, I, I, I would tell people, you know, because some people would say to me on that one too, why didn't you include this story, you know, this building or this, you know, I said, well, the truth is you could have many volumes of it. I mean, <laughs> Rochester in that book, you know, lost rogers lost a lot of buildings and businesses uh over the years and you one book it doesn't cover it there's so much more that you could do same with this i mean there are so many different uh stories about individuals in town that helped the foundation you know founding of the town throughout to now and you could really there could be many more volumes of it so it is hard to pick and choose it's it's not easy to decide what you put in the book it's really not and i think sometimes you you know you kind of lean towards things you're really interested in or really you know somebody else that did this might have chosen some other stories but i kind of lean towards things that really stood out to me that i i really wanted to uncover more and discover more about them so how long did it take to put this together well um you know it's you know the pandemic kind of <laughs> put yeah. attention things because I think I I signed the contract for the book sometime right right at the beginning of the pandemic, and then even the history center shut down for a while. So I think it kind of got extended longer than <laughs> you know we kind of had extensions a little bit because of you know when you don't have access to your resources, there's well, yeah. not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> yeah, there's only and, so much you can Google. Right, exactly. And so I think it, you know it takes about I mean. I think in general, we do about a year, you know, it's about a year of researching wow. and 
you know, I did the last Rochester, I think was nine months, but this time around, I said at least a year, but like I said, the pandemic kind of put a little wrench in it um, and extended it a little bit. So it's hard to kind of put exactly, but okay. probably about a year for research, you know, you research it, you write it, you find all the photos, you, you know, and then you submit it to them and they, they have designers that put it all together and then you proof it and you work with them on it. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it depends on you, but one, like my first book was only nine months. I, it, it was, a, I signed a nine for nine months, which was pretty fast. This one I did a year, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I a little more time, <laughs> a little less stress. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Uh, are there any other uh, Rochester books in your future perhaps? Well, yeah, you never know. I'd be, I would like to do another one at some point. I, you know, I always love nonfiction history, you know, especially local histories that, like I said, don't get as much maybe coverage as some other things. So I, I am interested in maybe doing it. I don't have anything on the docket right now, but okay. I always have lists of things I'm interested in. Well, there are some at. of us out there who collect all these books. The local history books. Yeah, yeah. Well, there. You know, like I said, it's it's fun that this publisher, it's Arcadia Publishing, publishing, and um, the History Press, they're together. But um, it's what's nice is that they do focus on local histories. That's their passion, and that's you know. So it's very focused on your particular area or town or county, and that's nice to kind of do that. I think it is. I love that. Yeah, and, and if somebody wants to get a hold of this book, yeah, can you buy it anywhere, or is there an easier route than others? Yeah, so um, it, it's coming out August eighth is the release official release date, and you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and the local Barnes and Noble will have it at Patchy Mall. Um, the History Center of Olmsted County will have copies of it as well. Um, so I know for sure those, you know, those places will have it. Um, you can order it from the publisher's website too, the History Press, Arcadia Publishing. They have it there as well. And sometimes they have deals going on and things too that, you know, when you purchase. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're connecting with some other local places, you know, retailers too, in hopes that, you know, they can um, also have it. Like I know my lost Rochester, I think is available at the University uh of Minnesota bookstore downtown. Um, it's been, I think that one also is available at the Mayo uh, gift shop at Mayo Clinic because that one does have some Mayo, uh, you know, <laughs> things in there. Um, and so, you know, there are places that also offer it. Also, Walgreens carries Lost Rochester. So I would imagine they would also have Hidden History. Target on occasion has also been carrying it. And I know um, Costco too has had it on the oh, Lost great. Rochester. So, yeah. So I'm assuming that'll be similar um, for this as well. All right. So it's August 8th. We can start looking for it. Yes. That's what they told me. Okay. (laughs) Well, Amy Hahn, thank you so much for your time and uh, congratulations on the new book. Well, thank you. And I just hope everybody enjoys the stories as much as I enjoyed finding them and, you know, crafting them together to to publish in this book. So great. Thank you so much. And it's great to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you too. <laughs> That's Amy Hahn, and it's Hidden the History of Rochester, available August 8th. And uh, we'll continue with more Rochester today in a moment on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning and welcome to Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell with News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. It's time for our monthly Destination Medical Center update with DMC Executive Director Patrick Sieb. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. How are you doing, Andy? Doing well. Hope you're doing well. 
yes. as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, since we uh, got together last month for an update, the Rochester City Council took action on, I think what they refer to it as the small area riverfront plan. I, forgive me if I have that title wrong. But it's not really a small project at all. It's, <laughs> by the looks of it, it's one of the largest development projects that would ever take place in the city of Rochester. And I know it falls within the DMC zone and is one of the, I think, six districts for the DMC master plan. Uh, maybe you could fill us in on what this is all about. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting work that's been going on and thinking about how can we as a community better embrace and connect to uh, the natural resource of the Zumbro River as it flows through the downtown. And, you know, like many, many cities, um, Rochester, following a flood, um, really engineered its river and created more of a channel and, and separated, provided flood protection. But in a way, in the process of providing flood protection, we also disconnected ourselves and, and from the river and from that from that natural resource. And so the current conversation is, is how can we peel that back a bit, still provide flood protection, but create new opportunities for development that occur could occur around it so people can access and use the river and make that part of our daily life in the downtown. Well, this plan encompasses a great deal of private development, but it also includes quite a large area of public space, I guess, amenities for the public to use. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, unlike a lot of parcels that uh, where we've been involved in planning, this is actually owned by the city. So this is property owned by the city under control and jurisdiction of the city. And so it is able to make its own decisions about what happens, not doesn't have to um, convince somebody else what to do. It, it really gets to control that that process and that decision itself. And so I think wisely, the city council said, well, let's let's do a community process and let's have a conversation, a public conversation around what wants to happen in this area and referring to the, the and people may not even recognize what we're talking about because right now it's a surface parking lot and a parking ramp and, and vacant buildings, um, both on this side of the river, the downtown side of the river, as well as on the east side of the river near um, uh, where the farmer's market used to be. Um, so those are parcels owned by the city and the county. They've largely been used for parking. And, um, and, and, and now we're saying, what about, you know, what about future development? And what about using that development to help fund and support public space improvements and maybe a bit of historic preservation and reuse of the historic Red Owl um, or Times Theater prop buildings right on 4th Street? And can we reimagine the use of those? so that they could be for greater sort of public purpose, uh, you know, a sunken garden or a marketplace, or um, and how do we create better uh, connections to the water itself, to the river itself? I, I spent 25 years in St. Paul working on riverfront development, and I'll, I will tell you, but the, the thing people want most is to be able to touch the water, get to the water, whether it is to step into it, to paddle on it, to skip a rock on it. People want to get to the water and, and uh, we can't really do that so much in downtown. And, and this is an opportunity to create that experience. I know part of the feature 
steps of the riverfront right now are the big walls, cement walls of the channelization for the flood control project. The drawings I saw found a way to, I, I guess, what, to terrace the flood control elements of it so you would have access to the water. Yeah, and, and what we've seen in other communities is just that, like sort of preserving the flood flood protection element, but doing it, like you said, in terracing, terracing it back, making it more of a gradual um, decline to the river and, and, like you said, more sort of terraced and structured so that people can get down to the water. And regardless of what the water height is, you always can get close to the water. So we're uh, looking at these concept drawings and diagrams uh, that were on the city council agenda. Do we have any sense of how long this might be before we see development in these these areas? Yeah, well, you know, there is there remains a lot of interest in Rochester in the development community. They the development community sees this as, as a as a community worth investing in, a demand for housing, demand for senior housing, a demand for um uh kind of commercial uh, retail um, kind of uh, reuse opportunity. So I think there's a lot of developer interest in Rochester as a, as a place that is attractive. What is always a challenge is if we're, if we're unclear as a community, what we want. And so I, my point really is, as I said, the, the city council wisely said, let's go on record as to what we want. Let's control our own destiny. I would say a few years ago, there was a project proposed for that site known as the Bloom Project. And it was really the reverse of that. It was a developer saying, here's what I want. And the city trying to get a little bit out of it that it wanted. This is the other way around. And this is the city and the community saying, here's what we want. And developers can you deliver on that and achieve, you know, your financial objectives? And so the first step is being clear about the plan. And uh, our and, and the city council laid out a series of next steps to um, ultimately market these sites for development. And those next steps include uh, interim activation, getting people to start using the river and seeing the river for what it can be ideas around uh, doing some of the engineering necessary to know can we modify the flood wall like we're, we're talking about. There's some work we have to do with the Army Corps of Engineers. There is uh, design work to be done to see what can we do more precisely to reuse some of the existing structure structures like the Times Theater or the, the historic Red Owl. And then there's um, work to be done with um, um, uh, the county, um, who also owns some of this property, in terms of what role do they want to play? All of this, Andy, is a long-winded answer to your question. All of this is to prepare this um, for perhaps this time next year, uh, marketing the site for uh, finding a development partner. Okay, makes sense. The, I guess, our gorgeous public amenities that are envisioned uh, along both sites, across from Mayo Civic Center and the old parking lot area and, and behind what it would call the, the Times Square properties. Do they have to wait for the private development? Um, I think there's a number of ways to approach that. I think that's a really good question. Um, sometimes we lead with the public in, improvements, the public spaces, or uh, sometimes we lead with that 
positioning the site for development. Sometimes they're done hand in glove and it helps with the, the financing if um, if the private project is happening at the same time as the public project. I think that's the kind of stuff we're going to be sorting out over the next um, few months. Okay. But this idea of interim activation is is finding ways to start using um, the the environment in the condition it's currently in. Last year we did this uh, light and music show along the river and it was really well received. It was a one night one night event, one night activity. Maybe that's something that gets done uh, once a month or, or every Friday night. Um, examples like that where you start using using it and programming and activating it. I think it helps when when we have been disconnected from the waterfront for so long, maybe a whole generation, uh, it helps to start doing things for people to even the riverfront cleanups that have been going on. Like you start by cleaning, you know, cleaning it up physically, you know, physically cleaning it up. Um, these are all the kind of early steps to create energy around the potential of the river. Sure. Get people used to being there again. The people used to being there. That's right. Okay. Well, as far as uh, that's in the future, <laughs> maybe quite a few years in the future before we see you know big giant projects taking place. But obviously, we're living through <laughs> quite a few projects right now in the downtown area. Maybe you can update us on what's happening with all of our various sidewalk and street closures and lane closures and. And the maze that has become now, you know, it's it's become a maze actually downtown. Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, turn that on its head, Andy, and say to your listeners, this is a great time to come down and visit downtown. It's a great time to see uh, in action the hard work of the men and women of the construction trades and the, the businesses who are creating new ways of getting to their business and, you know, special sales or special promotions. Um, so I would say to your listeners, come downtown, actually experience the transformation that's going on. And you're going to find, you know, incredible options at the north end of downtown or the south end of downtown. You can find great pizza options, uh, you know, Thai restaurants and, and European bakeries and uh, antique stores. And all of them are in operations, um, uh, the established uh, bars and restaurants. Um, there is all of it is still happening and still alive. And certainly the energy we feel on Thursdays on first ref, uh, Thursdays downtown reflects that um, kind of pulse and heartbeat of the of the downtown. So, yes, um, there are improvements going on and 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 that necessitates some um, adjustments to the traffic and pedestrian way. But I want to give credit to the the construction teams working on all of this, they have really been working uh, with us closely to figure out how can they be least disruptive and still get their work done. Uh, uh, whenever there's a sidewalk construction project, every front door of the businesses remain open during the entire project. Um, and, and that's a credit to kind of the innovation coming out of our um, construction um, partners who are um, really committed to working closely to, with businesses. I think they've come to think of themselves as not um, not concrete pourers, but business prosperity engineers. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I imagine having Thursdays back up and going has helped a great deal because it is bringing thousands of people to that downtown area and they're seeing what what is offered downtown. And you mentioned 
you rattled off a list of businesses or types of businesses. I saw a list of, oh, not too long ago, of the new businesses that have just opened in in the past few months. And I was yeah, it's pretty really, amazed. It's really quite, it's really quite incredible. Um, I mean, certainly we know that businesses have um, suffered um, because of the impact of COVID and, and some construction disruption and change of workflow. I think we're, you know, we still haven't seen what is a post-COVID environment like because we're not done with it and, um, and everybody is adjusting yet and, um, and creating new approaches to their business. Thursdays, you know, it's such a great um, reflection on uh, what a downtown means means to a community. So during the day, if you're downtown at for Thursdays, you're going to see a lot of downtown workers who are getting out for their lunch. But by the end of the evening and, and later into the evening, it's a whole new crowd of people who have um, come home from work, perhaps changed their clothes and come down to listen to music and um, perhaps have a, a, a drink or, a, or dinner. Um, so people who weren't perhaps weren't downtown throughout the day, but they chose to come back downtown. And, and that's really what a downtown can mean for a community. It's a, it's a central place of gathering, whether you live in Northwest Rochester or Southeast Rochester, it's a kind of a central gathering point. And uh, speaking of events taking place downtown, the night market has been brought back. And that's is that going to be a regular ongoing event nowadays? I, I sure hope so. And isn't that a wonderful experience um, for for your listeners? The night market launched last year. Um, it's a chance to bring, it sort of builds on the tradition of, of uh, many um, Asian countries that have a, a market that goes into the evening. And um, it has attracted a great diverse mix of vendors um, really fun experience and um, it's running um, uh, many Saturday evenings. Um, I think culminates the in September at the Mayo Civic Center Plaza at Mayo Civic Center. But in the meantime, it's at the um, site um, just off Civic Center, uh, uh, Center Street. Um, oh, sure. East Center Street, right? Yep, East Center Street uh, near the uh, Honkers uh, office building. And it's, again, been very well received and a credit to Tiffany Alexandra, who uh, launched this uh, with uh, shoestrings and uh, it's done a really great job with it. For a person who hasn't attended the night market, what what kind of experience could they expect? Uh, well, you can expect to see... Um, uh, vendors from uh, many different cultures and communities, food, um, you know, food being grilled and prepared on site, um, uh, uh, music, um, kind of the smells and aromas of many different cultures and uh, just a lot of friendly faces. So a great social event to take in on a weekend, especially a summer weekend. Yeah, and I think it's another example where um, you know, sometimes uh, people think that everybody in Rochester leaves town for the weekend. And and the truth is, when you put on great events and great experiences, um, you find that lots of people are in town looking for things to do. Um, the Riverside, you know, Riverside um, Music Series, of course, has been very successful, as has the um, concerts in the uh, various parks throughout the different wards in the community. So, 
there is um, a lot of a lot of good energy in our community for sure. Well, looking ahead, you have the annual meeting coming up. That'll happen probably before the next time we talk. That's next month, right, for the DMC board. Well, it'll be September 15th, so I'm hoping uh, that we talk oh, before, you're right. before then, but, but yes. September 15th. The summer's um, going a, fast, not quite that fast. Yeah, <laughs> let's, yeah, yeah. No, September 15th, uh, we, we hold our, what we call our annual meeting. It's an outdoor gathering to reflect on the progress of the past year and, and take a, a look into the future. We always bring together our partner and partner organizations. Uh, this work that's happening in Rochester is the result of many hands uh, coming together, bringing different skills and creativity and competency to to get the work done. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll tell you more about it the next time we talk in. That, that sounds we'll, great. We'll Jump ahead a details. little bit there. No, 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 that's, that's <laughs> fine. That's Any fine. other DMC news you want to share here before you run out of time, Patrick? No, I, I think uh, it's always a pleasure to be um, on the show and talking to you and talking to your listeners. And and again, I would just encourage people, um, this is a moment to come downtown, bring your kids, uh, let them witness firsthand the, the kind of um, change and, and uh, enhancements and improvements that are happening in our community as it grows before our very eyes. Yeah. So It really is historic what's happening. It really is. It really is historic. And I will just say Rochester has um, really, like all cities, challenged during the COVID period of COVID. But I think people look to and envy Rochester's success as as it navigated its way through COVID and as it's emerging out of it, painful as it has been. um, Others, and I talk to people from around the country, uh, marvel at our success and how well we're doing. And of course, being the hometown to the number one healthcare provider <laughs> in the country and perhaps the world uh, is uh, is a good starting point. And, like- you know, again, I, I probably should just uh, uh, congratulate Mayo Clinic on that uh, recognition now the seventh year in a row by U.S. News and World Report. Um, it's a pretty big deal and not one we should take for granted. No, it is It is not one. Which I know how much work went into achieving it the first time. Um, I, I know people who within that organization were laser focused on that. But now it's almost getting routine. <laughs> yeah, and you never want to. There are a lot of people like looking to dethrone, uh, dethrone oh, yeah. uh, Mayo for that status. And it's, it's hard work every year. And kind of a reflection uh, certainly of the leadership, but also of the the frontline workers at Mayo Clinic who um, really have, do what they do to, to position our community to be um, this this place of, of health and innovation. And uh, I'm so pleased to be a part of it and DMC to help support that. Uh, and um, watching it and experiencing it is a, is a privilege of a lifetime, that's for sure. And I will speak from from a personal point of view, a person who I've lived in the city my entire life and have always taken mail for granted, but I went through a health emergency last winter and I cannot tell you how, how important it is to have a place like mail two and a half miles away from my home. It's, it's, they do a lot of miraculous work there, let's put it that way. 
I think uh, many of us have been touched in the same way that you just described. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, Patrick. Um, I look forward to talking to you next month about Destination Medical Center news. Appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. Thank you very All right. much. Okay, Patrick C., the Executive Director, DMC, here in Rochester. And it's been Rochester Today on Newstock 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.